Hey, uh, my name is Ben, um, and you know, um, I'd like to start off uh, by a, telling you a story before I present the uh, message, and this is today's uh, little humorous story. Uh, one day, a, an evangelist, a priest, and a minister were in a rowboat in the middle of a pond fishing, and uh, none of them had caught anything all morning. And then the evangelist stood up and said that he had to go to the bathroom. So he climbs out of the boat and walks on the water to shore. And then 10 minutes later, he comes back into the boat. And then the minister decides that he needs to go to the bathroom. So he climbs out of the boat and walks on the water to shore. And then, of course, 10 minutes later, he comes back onto the boat. Now the priest looks at both the evangelist and the minister, and decides that, you know what? I've got as just as much as faith as these two guys that I'm going to go and try to walk on water too. So he stands up and he excuses himself and he steps out and he makes a big splash down into the water. And then the evangelist looks at the minister and says, do you think, uh, do you suppose that we should have told them where the rocks were? Without faith, uh, it is impossible to please God. You know, um, most of us have little trouble selecting a possible course of action uh, when the results are inconsequential. I, I mean, it's no big deal choosing palmolive over dawn for your dishwashing liquid soap. Or to wear a, a gray scarf rather than the red one. Or, or to choose ch a cherry jubilee over mint chocolate chip. Now, sorry for those of you guys who are mint chocolate lovers. So then it's kind of obvious that and evident that life is made up of making choices and decisions. You know, as you know that we are on a sermon series called Walk by Faith. And you know what? Um, I, I've been you know, praying and thinking about this all week, right? Actually, a couple of months, actually. And I realized something kind of very profound that, you know what? It, isn't faith supposed to be normal for all the believers? I mean, I mean, that's why we're called believers, right? I mean, it's in our nature in Christ to believe in, in the one who is perfectly faithful. Amen. And you see, when the Spirit of God took resident in us, I mean, He exudes in us the confidence of the Father and all of our relationship with the Holy Spirit that leads us to faith and confidence in God. But you know what? Unfortunately, knowing it and believing it or actually carrying out our that faith seems so kind of distant. You know, for we know that there is nothing that I can do more or less to make God love me more, right? Or less, right? Because God in his nature loves us the way we are. And, and, and you know what? There's nothing, like I said, nothing more I could do or nothing more I do less. But there is also a fact that we cannot ignore, and that is the responses or the choices that we make that brings great pleasure to God. You know, one of the stories in the New Testament that moved Jesus' heart 
Was that the story of the centurion who demonstrated a level of faith that Jesus said, there's no one in all Israel who demonstrated this kind of faith. And so the centurion's choice of faith made Jesus you know, kind of marveled. And maybe that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So then, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we're on this walk by faith series. And, and it teaches us that faith is making right choices and right decisions. Or if I may add, making heavenly decisions when we are faced with a fork in our road. And this morning, we're going to take a look at another man of faith. His name is Moses, who made a lot of mistakes, even made excuses not to return to Egypt when God told him to go. But you know, the New Testament depicts him as a man of faith, a man of perseverance. And the Holy Spirit sort of exalts him as a man who, in his faith, made correct choices that determined the glorious outcome of his life. So let's dive in and to see what kind of choices that Moses made that made him a man of faith. So let us begin in verse 24 of chapter 11. And this is the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling broad, lest he would destroy the firstborn should be touched. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Now, I want you to take a look at a word in verse 24, and the word is, he refused. In verse 25, it's a word, chose. In verse 26, it's the word esteeming. In verse 27, he forsook or he endured. Now, these are the choices that Moses made. Now, I want you to notice in verse 24 what Moses gave up. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, that is, when he grew up to be 40 years old, he refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. You know, we all know that for 40 years, Moses was groomed as a prince of Egypt. For 40 years, he served in the royal court to all the Egyptian pharaohs. He was well-educated. He was well-groomed for the court. He was under the best education system of, of that known world. And if Moses would have hung out, if he would have stayed true to the Egyptian culture, to the trainings that he had received, you know, he would have been the next pharaoh, the ruler of the most powerful government at that time. That's the position that he had. He was well-educated. He was wealthy. 
He was well-trained, and he would have been the next ruler. But the Bible says, but he refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose not to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. You know, I want also for you to notice in verse 26, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Notice the greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And in verse 27, he forsook Egypt. Now, this word forsook means a lot more than just leaving Egypt. He didn't just leave, he forsook, which means literally he abandoned it. He he turned away from it. He relinquished it. He, He made a conscious decision not to follow the ways of Egypt. Now, uh, okay, Moses, you had all the money. You had the best education and the finest institutions. You had all the power. Then why would you opt for something different? What did Moses exchange all this for? Now, it's an important question for us to ponder this morning because when a person refused something that the world considers great, I mean, isn't it only logical that he would have something better because he refused something else? In other words, if I'm going to turn something down, there must be something better than what I turned down, right? I mean, that's how the world operates. That's how the world kind of tells us that's the right call. Let me explain it this way. You know, when I was little, on TV, there was a celebrity by the name of Ed McMahon and his publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Now, those of you guys who are kind of older, you guys know what, what I'm talking about, right? And this publisher's clearinghouse sweepstake was like winning the lottery. And I remember uh, at various nights going to sleep, dreaming of winning this sweepstake. I would imagine Ed McMahon driving up uh, in my driveway in a limousine, and he had this sweepstake check for me, and it would say $1 million on it. And he would knock on my door and says, hey, Ben, here's this million-dollar check for you, saying you're the luckiest winner or the lucky winner of this month's Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstake. And I remember, I remember waking up from those dreams and said, yes, yes, yes. But here, Moses is saying, nah, I don't need it. I don't want it because I got something better. So then, Moses, what do you have that is better than money? I mean, what more valuable to you than money? So then, Moses, why? Or what else did you choose? Now, I want you to take a look at verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer Affliction. Well, what did you choose? Wait a minute. I don't get it. What are you doing? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sins. By the way, do you know that this word to choose means to prefer or to select? It's not an impetuous or a quick decision. It's not a decision of emotion of the moment. This word really means carefully, well-thought-out decisions 
it, it volunteer choice, weighing all the pros and the cons of either side, choosing rather than the, that of the wealth and all the positions and all of the advantages he chose. He selectively preferred after a period of long waiting out the pros and the cons to choose to suffer the afflictions. Afflictions? I mean, are you, are you sure you made the right decisions? So then what was Moses' standard and principle of making his choice? And so here it is. After weighing out the pros and the cons, Moses decided that the very worst that the God could dish out was better than the very best that the world could give. Now, think about that for a moment. The very worst that God could dish out was better than the best that the world could offer. Now, some of us, or even for me, as I was doing this study, wonder, is this possible? Who would make these kind of choices? Now, in your walk of faith, can you think of some people, some of the incredible choices that some Christians have made over the years that seem so absolutely ludicrous to the world? I know of one. Have you guys ever heard of a, a, a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom? who in World War II used her house to hide the Jews who were fleeing from the Nazis. And she made that
you know, um, something happened that, that, that I dreaded and feared uh, of, and I am so sorry, um, but um, I'm back. And this is where I left off. Uh, what about a missionary who would leave all the comforts of America and go to a third world country and live his life or her life out there? And what would the world say? The world will say, what, what are you doing? You, you've you got a great job. You've you got a great position. You've got lots of friends. And you, you can't go. And you could go to a lake on the weekends and enjoy what life has to offer. So then why would you want to give all that up? Why would you want to make a choice of going into the mission field? You know, in 2000, I read a journal by a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who coined the phrase that catapulted my life into the mission field. And he was going on his way to power his life, even unto death for a group of headhunters. But both of you were left and people were saying, Jim, how could you give up all this, man? Are you sure you want to make the right choice? You're making the right choice? I mean, you're giving up so much. And this is what Elliot said. A man is no fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. A man is no fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain which he cannot lose. So then why did Moses make such a choice? Why did Corey Tamboon make such a choice? But why did Jim Elliott make such a choice? And the answer is in verse 25 and 26, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now notice this, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sins, the passing pleasures of sins, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now here is the reason, for he looked for the reward. Do you know that in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul tells us that while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not are seen as eternal. You know, isn't it true that sometimes as believers, we live mostly far more occupied with the things that can be seen rather than the things are invisible? Maybe that's why the Bible teaches us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about the things we cannot see. You know, I bet it was, uh, it was a lot easier for Moses to realize he chose this. If I hung out in Egypt, if I enjoyed all my wealth and all my position, all my prosperity, the things that I could see and feel and touch, I would feel more confident and secure. But in fact, isn't it true that it's harder for us to let go of something that we can see, touch, and feel than those of things that we can't? I mean, we as believers, we live every day far more preoccupied with what the things that we could see rather than living by some of the things that we cannot. And Paul says here, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Certainly for Moses, it was a lot easier for him to live in Egypt than to live in the wilderness where every day he had to trust God for his life's provisions and directions. So 
Could it be that it's more difficult for us to wrap our minds around those, the things that we can see, touch, and feel to be temporary? I mean, the house that I live in, the, the car that I drive, the bank statements that we have, we live as if it will last forever, even long after that, you know, we're gone. And, and in our minds, it seems so permanent. But this is where the trust comes that we know that in God's word, that one day he's going to destroy this earth and to create a new earth. And if we trust in God, then my 304 daybreak court, by the way, that's my address, is only temporary. And see, for Moses, all of his learning and all of his training and all of the exposures to his wealth, to positions, to power, did not lessen his desires, the desires that he had for the things of God. And, and you know what? From the world standpoint, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. But you know, from a spiritual standpoint, Moses was sacrificing really nothing to gain everything. And he said he would gladly give it all up to receive what he would receive in the end. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of my friend of mine me called uh, out of the blues. We haven't talked for years, and uh, the reason for his phone call was asking me to pray for him because he had decided to d- donate one of his kidneys to one of his brothers, and he was scared. Uh, a fear set in in, in his decisions. On his decision that what if, you know what, I I give up one of my kidney and and my other kidney fails. You know, it's sort of like what Moses must have felt in verse 27. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured or he preserved as seeing him or seeing God who was invisible. But you know what? Moses refused to bow down to the pressures of fear because of the wrath of the king. And I remember um, my friend sharing with me that exact morning's quiet time that he had before he was reeled into the uh, operating room. And as he was sharing, uh, as he was holding out my hands, this is what he said. Ben, this morning God taught me that love isn't defined by what we give, but by what we give up. And now I kind of, was pondering for a moment as like, uh, but would you agree that I think there is certainly some truth in this, 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 this quote that love is expressed in giving of ourselves, but it is also demonstrated by what we're willing to give up for someone else. And isn't that what Jesus Christ did for us? Uh, I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight. In a different translation, the message translation. And this is what Philippians 2, chapter 5, verse 8 says. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. that he had to cling to the advantage of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he chose to set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. He was an incredibly humbling process. 
He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Now, before I conclude, I, I want to say something. There is nothing wrong with money. There is nothing wrong with being in a powerful position. You know, I know many godly people have been blessed by Lord financially, and God has prospered a great number of his people. God has given a high position to a great number of people. But in Moses' case, those things would have kept him from the best things from the will of God. For God chose him to deliver of his people in Moses' name. And that's the faith that he chose. So these things weren't wrong in, in, in themselves, but if anything like these keeps us from the great God's highest perfect will, then it is a distraction to us because whenever we listen to the voice of the world more than the voice of the Lord, you, I feel like faith will always be an uphill battle. Let me repeat that. Whenever we listen to the voice of the world more than the voice of the Lord, Faith will always be an uphill battle. Like the Hebrew says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you know that Jesus was so moved by Mary's costly offering as she poured out that perfume onto Jesus' feet? And everyone is saying, you know what? That is so, it's a year's worth of money. What are you doing, Mary? And this is what Jesus said. This act, this very act will be spoken on record and talked about for all eternity. No doubt about it. Faith pleases God. And as believers, this should matter. Realizing that there is an element of bringing pleasure to the heart of God when our faith is special. And also, I think faith always involves certain amount of upfront risk or giving up something visible for the invisible. You know, um, someone once told me that there is no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that is less than the life that we are all capable of living. Life of faith. You know, um, I've heard some people telling me, Ben, when you fall, make sure you have something to fall back on. You know, um, I, I've never kind of quite understood that kind of concept. Having something to fall back on. Now, th does it mean that I should fall back on my talents, my possessions, on my status? What does it really mean? And as I was going through this message and reading from Hebrews chapter 11 from 24 to 29, I feel like what God is saying to us today, to CLC family, that God is telling us that if we are going to fall, I don't want us to fall. I don't want you to fall back on anything except on faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in our creator. Once again, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, 
we believe from your word that the secret of living a godly life is to be able to see things in light of their eternal value. You know, I'm sure that Egypt looked really nice and comfortable for Moses. What a, pre- a, ple- a pressure that he had on him. But what an example that, that he is to us, Lord, for us to, to live as daily as we face choices and decisions. And those that seem so small but can reap huge harvests. Lord, I pray today that the seed of your word is sowing into our hearts and that it will bring forth the fruit. And Lord, I pray that we would recommend ourselves to you, to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, and to our church. And I believe that if you help us, Lord, that to see the difference between sort of the long-term benefits and the short-term benefits and their consequences. And I just pray, Father God, Lord, that give us a glimpse this morning of you, seeing who you are, even though you are invisible to our physical eyes, as you challenge us to live spiritually. Father God, I thank you this morning. Even the little technical difficulty in this morning, Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you are worthy and the message that had been sown into our hearts. I pray, Father God, that we will live by. Father God, I thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.